Here we go. Okay, uh, today is uh, December 18th, right? Today is December 18th, and we're exactly one week away from, the, you know, the Christmas holiday season. And uh, for our family, my family, this will be our fifth, uh, our fifth year, our fifth consecutive year uh, being away from the state of Michigan. And so when I look around... Uh, living in the South, living in Kentucky, when I look around and I think, is this truly December? You know, where, where's the snow? Uh, uh, you know, in Michigan, we've had at least, you know, one to two uh, snow days by now. Uh, but, you know, some of my fondest memories growing up were revolved around the snow. You know, we had, uh, my family lived on this great big hill, and so we uh, sledded all the time, and uh, my grandparents had a, a pond out by their house, and so uh, we enjoyed ice skating, and of course, you know, building snow forts and snowball fights, all those things are just, you know, memories that fill my childhood. And so I thought that I'd bring this lesson, maybe the first snowfall of the year here in Kentucky, but again, when's that going to be? I don't know. Maybe it'll never happen, so we're just going to go ahead and go with this lesson tonight. But... You know, we've talked about object lessons before. You know, our Lord loved to use object lessons. He loved to teach that way. You know, he, he could have been on the Sermon on the Mount and talking about those who maybe were worried about uh, being fed or uh, being clothed. And he said, you know, just look at the valleys. Look how God clothes the, the lilies of the field. Right? You think you're worried about uh, being clothed. If God will uh, clothe them... How about you? You know, you don't have to worry about that. Or, or, or bringing a little child before him and saying, you know, you want to be great in the kingdom? Well, you need to be like one of these little children. Or this morning in our Bible class, we talked about the, the barren fig tree. You know, Jesus uh, withered that barren fig tree. And that was really a, a lesson for the disciples there to understand that, uh, you know, that the, that, that the, the time in Jerusalem was, was coming to an end. Although snow is not a, a major theme in Scripture, you know, it's not every day you read a passage that has the word snow in it, uh, it's used quite a bit, and uh, we can learn some valuable lessons from that tonight. So we're going to look at a few of these passages here tonight. Uh, we'll, we'll go throughout the Bible, and so maybe you want to bundle up. Hopefully this isn't going to make you a little cold tonight as you look at this picture up here. But let, let's notice first off uh, here in... Um, in, well, Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 13, we have the, the account of the transfiguration. You know, we, we remember this, of course, Jesus and his inner disciples, uh, Mark, or excuse me, um, James and Peter and John, uh, the inner disciples, uh, they go with Jesus up onto this mount, and remember, uh, Jesus is transfigured before them. Right? And up there on that mount is Elijah and Moses, and they're talking to Jesus. And of course, Moses represented the, the law of Moses, you know, those first five books of the scriptures. And Elijah represented the prophets. You know, if uh, during Jesus' time, you didn't say, hey, can I uh, read a copy of your Old Testament? But you would have references as the, it as the law and the prophets. Right? Uh, let's study the law and the prophets. And so that was, that was Moses and that was Elijah. And that was a significant event because it communicated to us when we studied it that, you know, that there's some sort of, you know, uh, personality. We keep our personality, some sort of re resemblance in the next life because they knew who those individuals were uh, when they were transfigured before Jesus. But look at, if you're in your Bibles, Mark chapter 9, verse 3, as it describes Jesus and his glory, it says that his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth could whiten them. And if you're reading from the New King James, and I wish I had that translation before me, uh, it says that his, that his garments were as white 
as snow, as white as snow, and no launderer on earth could whiten them uh, or, or bleach them as white as they were at that point. I went to uh, ShermanWilliams.com, so I was sort of curious, you know, how many shades of white are there? And first off, I looked at, you know, the color black. You know, there's not too many shades of black, and, you know, it probably picked out about 10 different shades. But then I looked at white. How many different shades of white are there, uh, according to Sherman Williams? And they had over 175 shades of white, right? Cream and eggshell and ivory and vanilla, and the list kept going on and on and on. You know, some of those were probably made up uh, just to, to make money. But Scripture describes this glimpse of heaven that Peter and James and John saw as Jesus being, again, his garments white as snow, whiter than anything similar on earth. You know, nothing else compares is really the description there. The only way to describe how Jesus looked was that his, he was as white as snow in that moment. Uh, in Dan, Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, uh, Daniel describes uh, God, the Ancient of Days, as, uh, again, wearing clothing as white as snow. Again, there's that depiction there. But that paints a beautiful picture, doesn't it? Have you ever seen a crisp white snowfall and maybe the sun gleaming down on it and, and just the radiance and, and it's beautiful, it's refreshing. When you think of snow, and maybe that first time you see a snowfall this year, think of Jesus in his glory because that's how he's described here. A second aspect, a second time we see snow used in scripture, Matthew chapter 28. This is... Uh, when uh, the disciples are coming to the tomb of Jesus, Matthew chapter 28, the day after the Sabbath, uh, the, the first day of the week, we recall that some of the women disciples go to the tomb uh, to see Jesus, uh, not because they expect him to be risen, but because they're bringing ointments. They're bringing a lo uh, to anoint his body with the spices. And Mary Magdalene and some of the other women are there, and as they're coming to it, the tomb, they're wondering, well, who's going to roll away this great tomb, uh, so this, this stone in front of the tomb? How are we going to get to him? Well, in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 2, it says, And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it, and his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. Luke's account of this, of this mentions there were two angels. But, but the point is, as these angels that they encounter, again, very similar to the description of Jesus and his glory, their, their clothing, their garments were as white as snow. Verse 4 tells us that the guards who were there guarding that day, they were in shock. They were scared. That brings up an interesting question tonight. Are you eager to see the angels one day? Are you eager to see that? You know, similar to uh, Jesus being transfigured and his clothing looking as white as snow, the, the, the description of the angels were that they were also, too, wearing clothing as white as snow. Last week, our family, were, we were up in uh, E-Town at the Menards there, and we were walking around, and we were in the Christmas display section, and one of the kids asked me, uh, you know, how do we know what angels look like? And I thought about that for a little while because, you know, she was looking at, you know, one of the, the things in the display cases. And that's a good question, right? And maybe that's a sermon for another day. But how human are they like in their appearance? You know, a lot of times we read about the angels in Scripture and they're, and they're in, their, uh, in a human form uh, interacting with other humans. But are they always like that? You know, again, that's a, a great question. But it's fascinating to take all the Scriptures 
throughout the Bible about angels and sort of put them together and read about them, right? The word angel basically means a messenger, and so that's what an angel is, a messenger. And we notice in Genesis chapter 1, they're never mentioned as being in those six days of creation. So when were the angels created? Well, Job chapter 38 verse 7 gives us a hint uh, because it talks about how the sons, uh, the sons of God shouted for joy at the creation. Well, this is, an, a, this is in reference to the angels. The angels, when, when God created the heavens and the earth, they were shouting with joy. Right? They were, they're obviously, they're created, but they were created before Genesis 1. Well, what are they? Well, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 lets us know that they're all ministering spirits. Uh, they, they ha- they're meant to service those whose salvation is set forth for. In Luke chapter 16, verse 22, you remember uh, the rich man and Lazarus and how the angels came and brought the, the Lazarus to paradise, you know, ministering again. Um, Matthew 26, verse 53, you remember Jesus is on the cross and he says, you know, I, don't you think that now I could call upon 12 legions of angels? You know, we have that hymn in our songbook called 10,000 Angels. I talked about this in my Bible class the other day, but we have that hymn called 10,000 Angels. And I've always wondered, you know, where did that title come from? Because that's not what Jesus says here in this verse. He says, do you think I could not call 12 legions of angels to my side? Uh, A legion was 6,000 angels. So you take the 12 times the 6,000, and that's 72,000 angels that Jesus said that he could have called to have rescued him at that time uh, of need. I guess 72,000 is not as easy of a rhyme than 10,000 angels, but uh, there's the thing. But in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, Jesus is describing the judgment day when he's going to return again. And he says, I'm going to come back with all the angels. And again, um, an angel dressed in white as snow. Just think of that picture, that depiction of that picture of that snowfall that's going to happen one day. And again, when you think of snow, that first snow of the year... I want you to think of the angels. So think of Jesus in his glory. Think of the angels. Number three, leprosy. Leprosy. You know, leprosy is that dreaded skin disease we read about in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And while not always the case, leprosy is often seen, especially in the Old Testament, as a sign of uh, divine punishment. Let's notice a few of these accounts. Exodus chapter 4. Verse 6 and 7, uh, Moses, uh, he, he's worried that, you know, when uh, God commands him to go to Pharaoh, that, that no one's going to listen to him, that Pharaoh's not going to listen to Moses. And God gives him basically these two signs to verify. He says, first, I want you to throw down your staff. And remember, it turns into the snake, the serpent. And then he says, grab it by the tail. And he picks it back up and it comes back into a staff. Well, you remember the second thing he gave as a way of showing who he was and where he was coming from? Well, it says here in Exodus chapter uh, 4, verses 6 and 7, it says, Then the Lord furthermore said to him, Now put your hand into your bosom. So as put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And then he said, Put your hand into your bosom again. So he put his hand into his bosom again, and when he took it out of his bosom, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And so again, we see this over and over again that uh, leprosy is described as being as white as snow. You know, it's that, dis- that degenerative disfigurement of the body, the, the skin de- disease, and uh, it's almost as if the body uh, appears to be dead, right? Dead flesh. It was contagious, of course, and so uh, if you saw it, if you saw somebody as white as snow in that sense, you know, you got away from them because you didn't want to catch that. 
In Numbers chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, there's an incident here with uh, uh, Moses' siblings. Uh, we got Miriam and Aaron. And if you recall this, Moses uh, marries a woman, an Ethiopian woman, a Cushite, again in Numbers chapter 12. And Miriam and Aaron are a little upset about this, we're told. And we're not necessarily know why. Uh, he, he marries somebody who was not a Jew, uh, but it wasn't of the race that they were not to intermarry with. Uh, but again, it looks like they were jealous. They were offended. Again, we're not sure. But remember, uh, God calls all three of them to the tent, to the tabernacle, and he has this meeting with them and he, where he basically says, listen, Moses is my guy. Right? You don't talk bad about my guy. Moses is my guy. Romans, or excuse me, Numbers chapter 12, it says in verse 9, it says, So the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he departed. But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous as white as snow. Again, uh, her, her punishment was uh, be, becoming leprous, being as white as snow. And verse 12 says that, Oh, do not, and this is Aaron speaking, Oh, do not let her be like one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. Again, the appearance of uh, them, of this leprosy, was they were as white as snow. Uh, there's one more in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 27. Uh, this is Naaman. You remember Naaman? Uh, he, he, he's a leper, and he's told that there's a man in Israel that probably could help him, uh, Elisha the prophet. He comes to Elisha. Elisha, uh, of course, I'm making, you know, I'm shortening these accounts for time's sake, but Elisha tells him to go and dip into the Jordan River seven times, and he'll be cleansed. And remember, Naaman didn't want to do that at first. But eventually he goes and does that. His leprosy uh, leaves him. He, he's cured. And he offers Elisha some great gifts. Well, Elisha doesn't want to take them. And so Naaman's on his way home. But you remember, Elisha had this servant by the name of Gehazi. And so he races and catches up to Naaman and says, Listen, my, my master really does want these things. And so he takes them uh, under, uh, you know, the, under agreed, takes those things, comes back, to Elisha. Elisha asked him, where have you been? Right? I, I know where you have been. And we recall in, uh, here in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 27, it says, Elisha says, therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from the presence as a leper, as white as snow. And so again, the Bible uses snow to describe this condition of leprosy. And it's a graphic illustration of the destruction, the destructive power of sin. It was a, power ob a powerful object lesson of the day, right? Uh, you, you had to live outside the camp if you had this. You were considered unclean both physically and spiritually. And so again, when, when you see that first snowfall of the year, think of leprosy and think of the destructiveness that sin has uh, in our lives. Number four. Uh, we're going to look in 2 Samuel chapter 23 and notice uh, this account here uh, of a fearless man. You know, David had, uh, we often talk about, uh, of course, God was with David uh, his whole life, and David was a great king, but David also had mighty men. You remember David's mighty men? Uh, we're told in 2 Samuel chapter 23 at the end of that uh, chapter that he had 37 uh, mighty men, and uh, one in particular, in verse 20, uh, it was a, a man by the name of Benaiah. Uh, again, look at, let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 23, 
in verse in 20 in particular. And it says about this man, Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kebezel, uh, who had done mighty deeds, killed the two sons of Ariel of Moab, and he also went down and killed a lion in the middle of a pit on a snowy day. We don't really know the whole context of that story. That's all we get there is that there's a lion down in a pit and this mighty man of David went down into that pit on a snowy day with the elements and, and the climate of that time and killed that lion. I think most of us would be tempted to flee if we saw a lion in a pit. How many of us run towards the roar? Do you run towards the roar? And what I mean is, do you run towards those fearful situations? Or, or would you most likely want to hightail it out of there? Now, yes, there are times because of safety issues that we don't want to be around uh, if it's going to uh, be, again, a safety issue. But, you know, I'm sort of going to regurgitate a lot of that I said this morning. You know, what about when it comes to evangelism? You know, certainly for many, it can be a fearful thing to be rejected, to uh, maybe not have the experience uh, that others might have. And do we sometimes need to face our fears when we go and talk to others about Jesus? It reminds me of the hymn in our songbooks, You Never Mentioned Him to Me. Uh, we had to sing this all the time in preaching school. It was sort of this, uh, this theme uh, in our chapel sessions. And the, the, the chorus of this song, You have never mentioned him to me. You helped me not the light to see. You met me day by day and knew I was astray. You never mentioned him to me. And we, we talked about this morning about that passage in Revelation 21, verse 8, where cowardice was at the top of the list of those who will not see the kingdom of heaven. Uh, that being a cowardly in the fact that you know what's right, you know what God would want you to do and you don't do it, can keep you out of heaven. Again, that's the very first thing he lists. It's a fear that keeps you from doing what God wants you to do. And so again, uh, another point that I, I want to make about snow is that when you think of snow or that first snowfall of the year, think of that lion in the pit. Are you running towards danger or are you running away from danger? Are you like this fearless, mighty man? Let's look at a couple more, and then the lesson will be yours. But turn with me to Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs 31. And hopefully this is a chapter that, um, that maybe, uh, maybe the, the ladies are a little bit more familiar with, because this is the chapter that we often refer to as you know, a, uh, the gold standard for wives. Uh, a Proverbs 31 wife. Maybe you've heard that before. Verses 10 through 31 talks about, you know, an excellent, excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels. And as you read throughout that whole section, all those verses, it talks about how she compliments her husband and she plans ahead and she's an industrious woman and she makes sound financial decisions and she's benevolent to the poor and her children praise her. And it's not that it's not her charm or beauty that defines her, but it's her fear of the Lord. But look at verse 21, because this is what we're going to uh, point to here in Proverbs 31, verse 21. It says, She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She is not afraid of snow. You know, what does that mean? Well, that means, uh, you know, one day you go to bed and you wake up and there's the snow all over the yard, all over the house, and 
It doesn't faze her, this wife. The kids are properly clothed. It doesn't faze her again. When we moved to Knoxville, uh, you know, about five years ago, we had our first experience being in the south, and even at a hint of, you know, snow in the forecast, the, the grocery stores were lined with people buying all the bread and milk, right? And there were no, you couldn't get in there and out to purchase anything else. It was like the end of the world because there was snow in the forecast, and so everyone had to go there. Well, Proverbs 31 wife isn't worried about that, he says here. Her household is clothed in scarlet, right? That represents warmth, that she's prepared, that she's going to get them through. There's sort of a sister passage to that in in Titus in the New Testament, in Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. The Apostle Paul here referencing uh, women, and he says here in Titus chapter 2, verse uh, 4 and 5, it says, Uh, So that they may encourage the young women, speaking about the older women, they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. She has no fear concerning the comfort uh, of her family in the severest of winters, right? Snow does not faze her. So again, when you see that first snowfall of the year, think of... Think of that excellent wife that Proverbs 31 talks about because she's not afraid of the snow. She's rolling with the punches. And then finally, our last one that we want to notice here tonight is uh, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. This is our last snowy comparison. And maybe this verse uh, you recall where the, the prophet says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be like wool. Um, though they are red, like, excuse me, they will be as white as snow, and though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. That's the most beautiful description of all tonight, a soul forgiven of sin. Though your sins are as scarlet or crimson, you know, the idea is though they're really red, they'll be white as snow. Uh, not light pink, but as white as snow. You know, completely clean, not halfway clean. There's going to be no tainting in the wash, uh, no stains that got missed over here, over there. You're going to be cleansed. Your soul is going to be white as snow, he says. You remember in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, where the writer says, uh, you know, that, that God says, I will remember your sins no more. Well, what a way to picture that, to illustrate that by saying, listen, I'm going to take your, your red-stained soul off your garment and make it as white as snow, like a brand new one. In Psalm 51, David is pleading for forgiveness. This, of course, is right after uh, the sin that he has with Bathsheba. And in Psalm 51, he is, of course, he is pleading, he is begging, asking God for forgiveness. In verse 7 of this psalm, he says, Purify me with hyssop. And I shall be clean, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. He's begging God, cleanse me, God, wash me. I want to be as white as snow. And then in verse 10, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I want a clean heart, God. I want a a heart that is white as snow, uh, that's no longer crimson stained or anything like that. Cleanse my soul. 1 John chapter 1 Uh, verse 7, it talks about how the blood continually cleanses us 
from our sins, right? As long as we are walking in the light and have fellowship with God, that blood is continually cleansing us from our sins. It's not like uh, we, we mess up and we sin and we're out of God's grace until we pray for forgiveness and then we're back in and then we mess up again and we're out and we're back in and back out, back in. That's not how it works. This verse says it continually cleanses us from our sins. As long as we are walking in the light, the blood of Christ will continually cleanse that. It makes our soul as white as snow, he says. So again, this evening, when you think of snow, I want you to think of the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb. Proverbs 25, verse 13 The Proverbs writer writes, Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. And hopefully this was a refreshing lesson this evening. There's a lot more passages we could have looked at when it comes to snow. A lot of it touches on God's beauty or how snow is a necessity in the grand scheme of all of God's creation. But a lot of it deals with the description of God trying to plant in our minds of the beauty of white as snow. And any of these uh, snowy object lessons appeal to you tonight? Hopefully they did. Um, A description of being white as snow ought to appeal to all of us, right? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? That's a song we sometimes sing. Isn't that ironic? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb because it'll make you as white as snow? Have you ever thought about that? But there's only one way to do it. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, that we need to reenact the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, And that is how we come into contact with that soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb. He said, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. This evening, when you think of snow, hopefully one of these things will jar your memory uh, hopefully within a week or so. Now, maybe a lot of you are thinking, no, keep it up north. But uh, uh, maybe, just maybe, it'll, it'll happen uh, in the next couple of weeks. But um, as we offer the invitation this evening, if anyone here is ready to become a Christian, to put Christ on in baptism, we'd love the opportunity to help you, uh, serve you in that. Or if you need the prayers of this congregation, the encouragement of this congregation, Please uh, let us know how we can help as together we stand and sing this song of invitation.